0: Good morning. Good morning. Lovely to see you all. Lovely to be with you and to gather in the Lord's house with the Lord's people for our time of worship this morning. It truly is a, a privilege and a blessing for us. And I pray that you will be blessed and encouraged as you leave today. If this is your first time gathering with us, if you're a, wor- a visitor, a special welcome to you. If you have any questions or you want to know more information for any reason, um, come and speak to myself or any of the elders. You'll see them when we have the Lord's Supper. They'll be up the front there, so you'll be able to identify them. Welcome in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. It's great to have you with us today. We're here to worship God. But before we do so, I want to just draw a couple of notices um, or your attention to a couple of notices. Firstly, the Grace Theological College classes will be beginning at the, uh, in March, and so if you are interested or you want more information about that, or you'd like to come and study, come speak to myself, or go onto the website, gdc.ac.nz, and you'll find information there. Um, also, we, as you see, we'll be having the Lord's Supper today, so do uh, encourage you to meditate on what Christ has done for you and what Christ is doing for you as we come to the table. Uh, Just an announcement, for some of you will know the Duncanson family, and so we've been made aware that Irene Duncanson passed away in Australia uh, this week, and there will be a funeral, and if you would like information about that, I believe Delwyn uh, has contact and she'll be able to pass on that information uh, to you. So as we come to worship this morning, I want to invite you to join me, and uh, as we come to worship, we want God to call us to worship and I want to invite you to stand with me this morning to hear God's call to worship if you're able. This comes from Psalm 43 in verses 3 to 5. It says, send out your light and your truth. Let them lead me. Let them bring me to your holy hill and to your dwelling. Then I will go to the altar of God To God my exceeding joy, and I will praise you with the lyre, O my God. Why are you cast down, O my soul, and why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. Let us pray. Lord God in heaven, what a privilege it is for us this morning to come before you, the living God, our God, my God, my God and my salvation. Lord, we approach you this morning, we come into your dwelling place, not by works that we have done, not because of our efforts and our human endeavours not because of our name or who we are related to, not because we go to church or our parents went to church or we belong to any particular church, but we come to you trusting in your salvation, which only comes to us today through your beloved Son, our Lord and Saviour Jesus Christ. We come to your holy hill seeking your glory seeking your light, seeking your truth, as we pray in Christ's name. Amen. Brothers and sisters, let us come and worship God together in song. a seat indeed we stand forgiven at the cross and of course as we come through the cross we come to God as he's revealed himself in his word preeminently of course in the lord jesus christ but reveals himself to us in his word and we're going to open god's word together this morning we read in the mornings through the book of psalms we're going to turn this morning to psalm 108 1 08, and Andrew Shallard's going to come and read that for us.
1: Be page 475, if you've got one of the church Bibles. Psalm 108. With God we shall do valiantly a song, a psalm of David. My heart is steadfast, O God. I will sing and make melody with all my being. Awake, O harp and lyre. I will awake the dawn. I will give thanks to you, O Lord, among the peoples. I will sing praises to you among the nations. For your steadfast love is great above the heavens, your faithfulness reaches to the clouds. Be exalted, O God, above the heavens, let your glory be over all the earth, that your beloved ones may be delivered, give salvation by your right hand and answer me. God has promised in his holiness. With exultation, I will divide up Shechem and portion out the valley of Succoth. Gilead is mine. Manasseh is mine. Ephraim is my helmet. Judah, my scepter. Moab is my washbasin. Upon Edom, I cast my shoe Over Philistia, I shout in triumph. Who will bring me to the fortified city? Who will lead me to Edom? Have you not rejected us, O God? You do not go out, O God, with our armies. O grant us help against the foe, for vain is the salvation of man. With God we shall do valiantly. It is he who will tread down our foes. And may the Lord add his blessing to this reading from his word. Amen.
0: Great is the steadfast love of the Lord. It's high above the heavens. His faithfulness reaches to the clouds, and we're going to sing again together of that steadfast love of God. Oh, the deep! Oh, how deep the Father's love for us. Let us stand and sing. Because we know that Christ has paid for our sins as we've just been singing his wounds have paid our ransom we can come before him we can come and seek his face in prayer we can come before him as children before our loving God knowing that we are accepted and we are welcomed into his presence so let us come in a time of prayer let us pray I want to give a talk to the children, are the children going to come and join me down the front? I've got special seats for you here and here, so please come and join me, and I want to just explain and maybe give you a little bit of a a head start on on the sermon today. There's lots of seats over here, guys, as well, don't be shy, yep. Keep coming. Filing through. Okay. All right. Yep. Can we shuffle along, please? Just make a little bit of space for... Oh, yeah. There's a space in the middle now. Yep. You pop in there. That's awesome. Yep. Hop up. Hop up. Yep. Here we go. Great. Okay. Oh, thanks for coming. Um, It's great to see you. So I want to just help you to understand what I'm going to talk about a bit later. Um, and so I want to start by asking you a question. Have you ever had maybe a friend come over to your house and maybe they've stolen one of your toys and you realize after they're gone, that, that toy is gone? Has that ever happened to anyone here? No? You guys have got great friends. Maybe your, your toy got broken and they didn't tell you about it. Has that happened to any of you? Wow. Anyone over here? Whew, that's that's wonderful. It happened to me. I, I, I think I've told this story once before. What about, have you ever had a friend who's maybe told a lie about you, something that's mean and untrue, and they've gone to school or they've gone to one of your cousins and said a lie about you? Has that ever happened to any of you? No. We're living in a perfect world, brothers and sisters. This is wonderful. Well, it has happened. It has happened to me. I've had friends tell untrue things about me, like, oh, Jeff is, um, you know, he's got something new, like, I think it was a new watch. Oh, Jeff has got a new watch once when I was a kid, and it actually wasn't my watch, it was my brother's watch that i was wearing and they spread the story around and i was like he's got he's really spoiled because his mum and dad have bought him this new watch and it was actually not a true story it was a, it was a lie and i felt quite hurt by it when i found out or i had once a friend come to my house and he got some of my toys and and he 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 um broke them and and i found them after he'd gone home i found my toys broken up, and I was very disappointed. I felt very hurt by that. So imagine, you, maybe you need to help me because you guys don't have this problem, obviously. So for me, if my friend kept coming to my house and breaking my stuff or maybe stealing my stuff, what do you think I should do with that friend? Like, if it, it happened maybe once or twice... And he's like, can I come to your house again? I want to come and play with your stuff. And it's like, hey, he's come around twice and he's broken some of my things. What do you think I should do? Pardon? Fix them? Yeah, yeah, I could try and fix them. I I did try and, yeah, I do remember trying to fix some of those things. Anyone over here? What do you think I should do? Okay, invite him over again. If he breaks stuff, tell him to stop breaking them. Yeah, yeah, that that would be, that that sounds pretty good. Yeah. Yeah. Tell him to stop coming. coming. Yeah. (laughs) Actually, that's a good answer. Yeah. Because if he's done it once and he's done it twice, and you've said to him, hey, don't come to my house and break my stuff, and he does it and he keeps breaking your stuff, I think, I'm with you on this one, I think I would say, don't come to my house anymore until you stop breaking my stuff. Okay. I think that's a very wise thing to do. In fact, we're going to talk about that in, in the passage that we're looking at later on, where the Apostle Paul says to the church, if people come to the church and they tell lies or they want to break the church, like break God's stuff, like break up the church and get everybody fighting and make people leave the church and all that. He says you should not hang out with that person. You should tell them to stop coming to the church. That's what it says in the Bible. Tell them to stop coming um, because it's just a wise thing to do. Now, maybe, like in the case of my friend, maybe later on when we were older, we... It was fine. There was no problems anymore. He stopped breaking my stuff, and it was all good, and we could hang out together, and we could be friends. And, and, and what, when we think about the church, we need to think about, we might say to people, hey, stop coming to church, and pray for that person that God would bring them back to the truth. They wouldn't want to break up God's church, and they would want to tell the truth from the Bible. So it's worth us thinking about. So see if you can, when I'm preaching, see if you can pick up what I'm saying about that passage in the Bible. So let's pray now, shall we? Lord, we thank you that the church is such a special thing and such a precious thing. And unlike our toys, which I know that we can replace and we can get new things, the church is something that is irreplaceable and is of... Special value to you because we know Jesus died on the cross for his church. And so, Lord, as we think about this and think about how we protect the church, we thank you that your word gives us very wise advice and tells us if people want to break the church and tell lies about the church and tell lies about Jesus, then we should ask them not to be a part of the church. And so, we ask you, Lord God, to. Uh, Give our elders, give the leaders of the church wisdom to know when someone should be asked to stop coming to the church and also courage to ask that person to stop coming to the church. We thank you that Jesus forgives our sins and we pray that if anyone is in that situation, you might restore them to yourself as we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. We're going to sing another couple of songs. Um, wait for Mr. and I He will tell you when to go and get your um, worksheets after our first song. Let us remain standing, and let us give thanks for the offering that the Lord has blessed us with. Heavenly Lord and Almighty God, cattle on a thousand hills are yours, the whole earth is yours, and so we today, Lord God, have the privilege of sharing with you, uh, giving back to you a portion, a part of what you have blessed us with. Lord, would you take this money and use it? In such a way that your ex- uh, kingdom is extended, your glory is advanced, and that more and more come to worship our Lord, the King Jesus. And so we do pray that you would bless this money, uh, give wisdom to the church, to the leadership as uh, they determine how it should be best to be used. May it bring glory to your name, for Christ's sake, amen. Please take a seat. If you could turn in the uh, Bibles to the Epistle of Paul to Titus, we are pretty much at the end of it. Um, I'm going to deal with verses 11 and 12 this morning and then... Carlo, tonight we'll wrap it up. Um, So this morning we're turning back to Titus chapter 3. And we're going to read together from Titus chapter 3. We'll read from verses 4 to 11. This is the word of God. Hear God's word. But when the goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior appeared, he saved us, not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy, by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit whom he poured out on us richly, Through Jesus Christ our Saviour, so that, being justified by His grace, we might become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. The saying is trustworthy, and I want you to insist on these things, so that those who have believed in God may be careful to devote themselves to good works. These things are excellent and profitable for people. But avoid foolish controversies, genealogies, dissensions, and quarrels about the law, for they are unprofitable and worthless. As for a person who stirs up division after warning him once and then twice, have nothing more to do with him knowing that such a person is warped and sinful. He is self-condemned. Amen, and may God bless that reading of his word. Let's pray. Let's ask God to help us as we open it. Lord, we, uh, we come with confidence to your word, because we know that this is inspired of the Holy Spirit. Your word tells us that itself, and it speaks to us in a way that no other book speaks to us, and we pray, Lord God, that as we approach your word this morning, we would come with a posture of humility and faith, that you would help us to put aside our personal preferences and ideas, and you would help us to trust your word, to trust that you know what is best, that you know what is good for us. Give us ears that are ready to hear and give us hearts that will believe and take action according to what we read and what we believe. We ask in Christ's name. Amen. I hope that you were welcomed this morning. Did you get a warm welcome when you came in to church? Yeah? David and Sarah on the door. Lovely, warm, welcoming couple. Isn't it lovely? And, and church is a, is a place where we say everyone should be welcome. Everyone should be, be able to come in and whoever you are, whatever you look like, you know, wherever you're from, whatever you smell like, whatever you are wearing, whatever it is, you, know, you should be made to feel welcome. And, and that is true. It's a, and sometimes we say, you know, church is a very inclusive place. It's a very inclusive community. We don't exclude people. That is until we do exclude people. That is until we do unwelcome people, because that is a biblical thing that sometimes we are called to do, to unwelcome people, to exclude them from the church and that's what our passage is about this morning here. I don't know if you've been following through on this, this uh, letter, but Paul is writing this letter to Titus. Titus is in Crete. He's been, you might say, mentored and coached by the Apostle Paul himself as to how to establish the church in the island of Crete, how to set up good, solid biblical church communities. And he's instructing him on all the the possible things and all the the presenting uh, issues that would come and could be possible in this context in which Titus Titus is operating in the the island of Crete. And what he does as we come to the end of the letter, he comes back to the gospel. So what he he does in in chapter 3, verses 4 to 7, he gives a, a really clear and succinct and very compact explanation of what it means to be a Christian. When the goodness and loving kindness of God, our Savior, appeared, he saved us not because of works done by us in righteousness and so on. Verses 4 to 7, he does that. And then he says, well, in the light of this, in the light of this gospel reality, in the light of what God has done... The people of the church, the Christians, those who have, he says, believed in God, this is a faithful saying, that those who have believed in God need to devote themselves to good works. The church is to be a, is to be a place, is to be a community of people who stress good works, who, who seek to glorify God by doing what is good and what is right according to the word of God. And we looked at that last week. And in contrast to that, he says, this is what the church should be stressing and this is what the church should be embracing and pursuing. And, but he says, on the other hand, it, so we embrace good works and we seek to glorify God and do those things which are excellent and profitable. But he says, on the other hand, there are things that are unprofitable and worthless. And those unprofitable and worthless things, he says, we should avoid. And these are arguments and debates, and controversies, and and fights, and battles over things that are not central to the gospel, that are not of the gospel, that are not going to advance the cause of Christ, squabbles over things that, as he says, are worthless and unprofitable. But what do you do if somebody doesn't get the memo? okay you've all been in that situations like i didn't hear that I, wait what was that what did you just say you know and and so he says there will be situations in the church where there are people who don't get it they they don't hear the burden of the word of god saying avoid Pointless arguments and squabbles and and fights and controversies that don't edify and that don't advance the gospel, and they still keep doing. The, they still want to keep doing these things. And so he says in verses ten and eleven, as for a person who stirs up division, after warning him once and then twice. Have nothing more to do with him, knowing that such a person is warped and sinful is self-condemned. What does a church do with such a person? What does a church do with someone who is divisive and argumentative constantly? What does a person do with someone who is, is insisting on teaching things that are not in the Bible, that are not according to the Word of God? What should the church do then? Well... I think the point of this passage, if you want to sort of put it into a, summarize it into a sentence, or the big idea, so to speak, is that Paul is telling Titus that he must deal decisively to defend the gospel by removing destructive distractions from the church. Did you get all those Ds? Yeah? I could have put more in, but you have to resist that when you're a preacher. Let me read it again. We must deal decisively to defend the gospel by removing destructive distractions from the church, get them out of the church. So what do we do? Well, I think there's two things here I want to highlight. First of all, we have to determine if a person is being destructive. And We have to determine if a person is someone who is stirring up division. In other words, are they is a person being heretical or are they got a genuine question or you know they just really want to know how, how do you determine is, is are they just like i didn't get it i i need to know i need to hear i didn't understand the the first time uh is is it is paul saying that anyone who says you know the elders of have made this decision in the church and uh, yeah, I wonder about it. I'm not quite certain of that and I want to know more about their thinking. Is that wrong? Should we not ever ask questions? Is he saying that? It's wrong to ask questions? Is, is he saying that you can't disagree with me over something maybe my view on the return of Jesus the end times or my particular view on baptism or or something like that or something that's not central to the gospel is that what he's saying and 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 maybe you're even thinking what about someone who's in uh, some crazy weird cult church that's sort of going off the rails and and they're saying, hey, wait a minute, you know, this is wrong. You shouldn't be doing that. And the, the leadership of that church is saying, hey, you're being a divisive and argumentative person. You should get out. Is is, is that what Paul is talking about? Well, what is really um, interesting that goes, uh, that goes uh, about this passage is that he says, he gives Titus these guidelines, doesn't he? He says the, the people that you want to... Uh, removed from the church, are those that are divisive, and he gives another explanation too, and he says they are warped, verse 11, warped and sinful, and ultimately they are self-condemned. Now the word word that Paul uses, a person who stirs up division, is actually the word uh, that we use as heretic. That's the word that he uses there. And it's an interesting word because heretic has a sort of a range of meeting, meanings. Paul, when he's before Governor, Governor Felix in Acts chapter 24, verse 14, he says, actually, I belong to this sect, and the word behind that is heretic, called the way. He's like Felix. You may have heard this group of Christians, you know, who believe in the, that guy who said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. And he says, that's where I'm part of that, that group, that, that's, that sect. And then we we see it sort of used. It it comes to be used in a a more negative way. If you're familiar with Paul uh, talking to the Corinthian church in Corinthians chapter eleven, where he's instructing on the Lord's Supper, and he says these words in eleven verse nineteen, he said, he said, "For there must be factions amongst you in order that those who are genuine among you may be recognized." Again, the word faction is connected to this word heretic. It's the same word in a different form. So this is a negative thing. There's, there are divisions and factions in the church. There's you know, one group sort of sitting over here and one group sitting over there, and they're like, no, nah, we don't agree with those guys. We don't, we don't want to hang out with them. We don't, we don't support the things that they support. And then when you keep reading in the Scriptures and see the, the way that this word comes to be unfolded, And unfold in in, uh, Galatians chapter 5, famous passage. You know where Paul talks about the fruit of the spirit? And he contrasts the fruit of the spirit, you know, love, joy, peace, with the works of the flesh. And he says that the works of the flesh are evident. And he gives this massive list. And I'll read some of the list. He says the works of the flesh are evident. They are idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, Dissensions, divisions—same word, heretic word. Envy, drunkenness, and orgies. Now it's really interesting that list, isn't it? Because I guarantee you that you—you're you're like me. You've read that list in the past, and you've started with uh, idolatry and sorcery, and you end up with drunkenness and orgies, and you go, "Oh, that's not about me," because I'm not an idolater and a sorcerer, and you know, orgies are not my thing, and and so you're like. All, and you miss all the stuff in the middle, which Paul says, this is a work of the flesh too. Divisions, dissensions, and, uh, and, and envy, and rivalries, and anger. And so we see that, he, we, we're painting this picture, aren't we? When we're asking the question, when Paul says to Titus, you want to determine if a person needs to be removed from the church, you, we're painting a picture of, uh, of uh, divisiveness, of sectarianism. And then when you come to Second Peter, we see, that, we, we see the trajectory that this is on. That is kind of like a, a line, and it's kind of a little bit blurry at the start, but what, what we see is the fruit of it manifests itself ultimately in a rejection of the gospel and the rejection of the God of the gospel. And so when Peter is writing 2 Peter chapter 2, verse 1, he says, But false prophets have also arisen among the people, just as there will be false teachers among you, who will secretly bring in destructive heresies, even denying the master who bought them. And so what we see is, is that heresy or heretics or divisiveness may manifest itself in a number of ways. It may be just somebody who who's, has an argumentative and a, a divisive and a, and a sort of a, a, a kind of a conflict-orientated uh, approach to, minister, uh, to the church and they're always wanting to get their way and they're always wanting to drive a wedge between other, themselves and others. But it, may, it, it, it has this sort of process by which it ultimately ends up with somebody who is anti-God and anti-the gospel, a false teacher, a destructive heresy, someone who denies the Lord Jesus Christ. It's, it's harmful, it's destructive, and it turns people away from the Lord Jesus Christ. When you read other authors around the same time as... as um, As the Bible, very early, Ignatius of Antioch, he says, flee from all abominable heresies and those who cause schisms. So he lumps these things together. Heresy and schism, false teaching and and divisiveness as the beginnings of evils. Here's a longer quote, and I want to read this for you because I think it's quite instructive. He writes in another one of his letters, does Ignatius He says, I therefore, yet not I, but the love of Jesus Christ, entreat you to use Christian nourishment only, and abstain from vegetables of a different kind. I mean heresy. Some mix up Jesus Christ with their own poison, speaking things which are unworthy of credit, like those who administer a deadly drug and sweet wine, which he who is ignorant drinks... And with fatal pleasure leading uh, sorry, leading to his own death, you see what he's saying here is is that we have to be so careful that within the church, we think that we're getting good the good food, we think we're getting the word of God, but there what happens with heresy is it starts to get mixed in it, it mixes poison with the truth, it mixes error with the word of God and and, and, and it comes from this attitude it comes from this whole heart of of wanting to divide and wanting to set oneself over against others and promote oneself uh, maybe a, an attitude of of uh, of uh, um, selfish ambition It's a dangerous thing and so for Ignatius, heresy starts with the divisive heart and ends in teaching that sounds like Truth, but is actually poisonous and, and, and is adulterated and, and comes from a warped and sinful heart. And the reality, brothers and sisters, is that, that this, is, this is the stuff of life, isn't it? I've had a couple of people just speak to me recently about... Um, there's a group out there. I think it's the, it's the Shinjongji Church. It's a Korean-orientated cult group. And they believe that the founder of their cult is somehow Jesus, and I think it's his wife, is the mother of God. And so if anybody knocks on your door and says, hey, I want to, usually three people, and they want to talk to you about the mother of God, you know that you're dealing with this cult group. And, and I was, someone was telling me of a friend who got involved in this group, and they said, come along to this meeting, and they thought it was all great, these are very... Zealous and genuine and serious believers, and then suddenly this woman appears on the screen from Korea, and everyone bowed down to this this woman on the screen. Why did they bow down because this cult believes that she is the mother of God. Now, these people come to you and they 're not saying we 're a cult or we're you know we 're false teachers or we 've got some new religion, even, but they 're coming to believers and trying to entrap believers into their false beliefs and into their errors. And you ask yourself, why do people do this? Well, what is in the human heart, brothers and sisters? What is in your heart and what is in my heart? Love of money, love of self, love of power, love of sex, love of, of, of destructive influences. And Paul is saying, when, when um, we detect, and when the, particularly the church leaders, when a church, when the church leaders detect, but all of us are responsible to do this. When we detect that something is not right, we have to deal. We have to remove these things from the church. Um, it's interesting how corrupt the human heart can be, and and how. Sometimes a person may sound, and this is, this is the thing about why he singles out divisiveness here, a person may sound like they are orthodox and correct and biblical, but actually their heart is destructive. Their heart is warped and sinful. And it's only by investigating that we can discover this and learn this. I, I know of a situation of a good church, and they had problems, and they had divisions, and it originated with some of the leaders of that church. And sadly, it, it, they couldn't be dealt with quick enough, and so it caused a lot of pain. A lot of people left this church. About half the people ended up leaving this church. Until finally, the elders challenged one of the other leaders who they learned was the cause of all of this division and upset and they said you have to go. It's time to go. You need to leave the church. And and this person when they were told this their heart was suddenly revealed because they turned to the elder who had told them this and they said I will destroy this church. I will destroy this church. Now here's somebody who everybody looked up to. Here is somebody who everybody thought was, you know, a mature and godly Christian leader but suddenly when they were challenged with the word of God and and with a love for the church their heart was revealed, warped and sinful. Who wants to destroy the church? His name starts with S and ends with N, doesn't it? Satan is the accuser of the brethren. Satan is the one who wants to destroy the church of Jesus Christ. And so Paul says, you know as for a person who stirs up division, so this is a divisive person, this person is someone who is warped and sinful and self-condemned. This is a person who must be challenged. They have to be removed from the church because they will destroy the church. The second thing, though, is, is that not only do they need to be um, challenge but they need the, the leaders of the church particularly have to deal decisively with this person or these people notice what paul says he says as for a person who stirs up division after warning him once and then twice have nothing more to do with him have nothing more to do with him so what is what is what do you do when you hear that someone is causing problems in the church when you hear that somebody is introducing false teaching you can't just ignore it you can't you can't just pretend, you know, like, oh, well, we'll just hope it, hope it doesn't get bad or hope that nothing, you know, nothing terrible comes out of this or we just hope they'll go away. That sometimes is human nature. We want to, we want to be like that, don't we? But biblically, we can't do that. I don't know if you're, you know about Diotrephes. Diotrephes, you read about him in Third John and the Apostle John. What, we, what do we know about the Apostle John? He was the Apostle of love, wasn't he? He was like, love one another. Everyone will know you're my disciples if you have love for one another. But he writes in Third John, he says, there's this guy in the church called Diotrephes. And he is stopping people. We think they're traveling evangelists. He's stopping them coming to the church. And he's excommunicating anyone who goes and talks to them or welcomes people to come into the church. Why? Because he's in love with power. And John, the Apostle John, the Apostle of Love, he says, I'm going to come and visit and I'm going to go and talk to Diotrephes. I'm going to go and and have it out with him. We see the same thing Paul says in, in Galatians with Peter. He says, I came to the church in Galatia and the Apostle Peter himself, the rock, he had. Been influenced by the Judaizers and he was no longer eating with the Gentile Christians in the church. And I had to go and talk to him. I had to confront him about this. And this is what we see the Apostle Paul telling Titus to do here. He's saying that we have to go and deal with him. Now, why do we do that? Well, there's two reasons. Firstly, And and it's interesting reading Calvin on this, because Calvin we think of as the guy, you know, who with the authorities of Geneva really dealt the harsh blow to Servetus as as heresy. But Calvin says, we have to go and talk to someone. Why? Because you want to know what they actually believe and what they teach. You don't know what somebody actually thinks until you talk to them, do you? Don't just read what they put on Facebook or what they posted on Twitter. Go and talk to them. You have to do that. He says you can't be rash. You can't be jumped to conclusions. But secondly, you go and talk to them so that you actually know and you can dig down and find out what is going on. And, and notice what Paul says here. He says you after warning him once and then twice, this word warn is a very interesting word. It has to do with, sometimes people use it in biblical counseling, it has to do with, confronting someone, teaching someone, encouraging someone, and even challenging someone. It has all this whole range of meanings. And so Paul says, you have to go and talk to someone. You have to go and talk to this person, this divisive person, this this person who is causing upset in the church. Now, he's obviously referring to the, the leaders of the church, but I think we as believers, we all have this responsibility together. If you're talking to someone and or you hear someone say something about, some, you know, Bob has said this. You don't listen to gossip. You go and talk to them and find out. What does he really say? Do you really think that? And so he says, we need to go. And, he says, go and talk to them. He says, go and warn them. But notice what he says. He, he, he doesn't say, go and carry on a prolonged conversation and have multiple meetings week after week, year after year, going on and on. He says, once twice. So you meet with them. Tell us what, what it is. Tell us what your argument is. Tell us what your new teaching is that you think the Bible has got. Tell us about it. Okay, we, hear, we think this is wrong. Let us tell you why this is wrong. We want you to go away and think about this. We'll meet with you in a week's time or two weeks time. Let's get back together. You get back together and you say, we, we've given you the biblical verses to look at. We've given you the passages to consider. We've told you why we think this is wrong. Uh, do you still hold to these views? Are you still wanting to promote the, this teaching in the church? Yes, no. And and then at that point, the elders may decide that this person should be asked to leave the church. You know, it's important to do this, isn't it? It's important to challenge others. It, 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 this, this, this is something that we just can't... Um, Ignore is something that is far too important. Just to pretend that we can just be friends and not speak the truth. Uh, some of you may have family who belong to a group called the Jehovah's Witnesses, or maybe you've you've encountered them, or or you you've, you've uh, been involved in the, with them in the past. You know that. The, the question we have to ask ourselves, if you take, for example, a group like the Jehovah's Witnesses who believe that Jesus is a created being and that a person is saved by trying to obey Jehovah, would you encourage someone who's looking for the truth and, and looking for salvation to go and, and become a, a Jehovah's Witness and be a part of that group? You wouldn't do that, would you? Because... They have false teaching and they have error. And so you don't play around with them because they're going to lead people astray. And it's important that, that we as believers and we as, as church leaders take this seriously because ultimately we are dealing with eternal life and eternal death. We're, we're dealing with somebody's life or death. We're dealing with salvation or destruction. That's why it's important. We're dealing with the church of Jesus Christ, which the Apostle Peter says he purchased with his own blood, not with silver or gold or things that that will vanish, but with his own blood. And we are dealing with the souls of individuals and their eternal destiny. And that false teaching is lethal. As Ignatius says, it's like a poison that a person drinks and they don't realize they're drinking it until it is too late. And that is why we have to take action. That is why we have to deal, says Paul in this passage. We have to deal decisively. A person has to be put out of the church. He says, have nothing more to do with him. Now, I know that for some of us in sort of 21st century years, that sounds pretty extreme. You know, you, sometimes you read about stuff in the newspaper, oh, <coughs> So-and-so was part of a church and they got shunned or they were (laughs) excommunicated. And we go, oh, that's terrible. How could they do that? Well, we do that because the Bible tells us to do that. And we do that because we love the Lord Jesus. And we do that because we love the souls of all. And that we shouldn't put anybody in danger of eternal destruction Paul writes in Romans chapter 16, he says, Watch out for those who cause divisions and create obstacles contrary to the doctrine that you have been taught. Avoid them. Quite clear, isn't he? Avoid them. You know, don't, don't hang out and invite Jehovah's Witnesses or Mormons or crazy cult people to be a part of your Bible study or whatever. Yeah, sure, you might want to share the gospel with them. You might want to evangelize them. You might want to ask them if they were to die tonight, would they go to heaven and why would they go to heaven without their crazy cult ideas? But you don't invite them into the church. You don't invite them to be to teach in the church or to have an influence over others' Paul also says in Second Thessalonians chapter 3, verse 14, If anyone does not obey what we say in this letter, take note of that person and have nothing to do with him, that he may be ashamed. Do not regard him as an enemy, but warn him as a brother. And this is what Paul is saying here. Warn that person. Once, twice, warn them, and then avoid them. Why? Because it's a matter of life and death. But continue to pray for them that they might be restored. I don't know if you remember when the Apostle Paul wrote to the Corinthian church, really painful stuff, really yucky stuff. First Corinthians, what does he say? There's a guy here. He's sinning with his stepmother in a relationship with his stepmother. You have to deal with that guy. You have to put him out. Second Corinthians, what does he do? He writes and says, hey, about that guy that, that I wrote about in the first one that you had to put out of the church... He's repented, now you restore him. And so the gospel, even for heretics, the gospel is always an invitation to come and repent and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. Just as we close, and you may be sitting here and go, well, well that's good, it's a sight. there's the, that church, that big one up on the hill at Monaco. Yep, you know those guys, let's avoid them that weird hall down the road. Yep, let's avoid them. Let's avoid the three people who come around knocking on my doors wanting to do a Bible study with me. Yep, I'll avoid those guys. But let me ask you this question, brothers and sisters. Has anyone here ever had a, a thought or an idea or a belief about God which is not according to the Bible? Yeah, I have. It's, we are all... At danger of this. I, could t- I won't bore you with the details, but thankfully, God, through the writings of R.C. Sproul's A Good Theology, corrected my wrong thinking about the Trinity when I was a new believer. Has anyone here ever approached an argument or a discussion with someone else in the church? For, you know, you were like, yeah, I'm going to prove them wrong. I'm going to make them I'm going to embarrass them. I'm going to show my superior knowledge of the Bible. A divisive heart. An attitude which is, which is wrong and, and, and schismatic. A desire for revenge or, 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 or envy, out of envy. Brothers and sisters, this is our heart, isn't it? This is where we all have this tendency. So let's not think to ourselves, this is a problem just out there for other people. It's a problem that begins in the human heart. And only by grace, only by the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, verses 4 to 7, who works salvation in us but also sanctifies us and renews us into the image and likeness of the Lord Jesus Christ, only by God's grace are we too kept from error, are we too kept from wrongful, harmful, divisive attitudes, And I am aware that some of you may be dealing with family members or friends who are maybe divisive or hold false teaching. Let us pray for them. You pray for them. Invite other people to pray for them. Pray for our families. Pray for our friends. Pray for our neighbours who are trapped into false teaching and have wrong and, and harmful attitudes towards the church. Ask the church to pray. Pray for the elders of this church. As they seek to shepherd God's flock, as they seek to guard the flock from error, from harmful influences, from divisive people, from false teaching. Pray that they would have the discernment to know what is false teaching, and pray that they would also be decisive to act on it and not leave it before it's too late. Let us pray now. Lord, we thank you that you are a God who delights in the truth. Send your light forth and your truth. Let them be guides to us, Lord God. We thank you that you are the God of peace and and the God of unity. And so with those two things in mind, we pray that you would preserve us, your people, ...from these heretical ideas, whether they are ideas of false ideas, lies about the Bible... ...or whether they are divisive and destructive attitudes towards your people. And I pray, Lord God, that you would, in the light of what it means to be a Christian... ...in light of what it means that Jesus died on the cross for his church you would give us a, a real love and concern for your church. And so we do pray for ourselves. You would preserve us from error. You would preserve us from wrong attitudes. We pray that you would be an, a, with our family members and, and deliver at those of whom we know and love who are being trapped into false teaching. And we also pray that you would guide and direct the elders of this church, and indeed of all churches throughout this land, that they would guard the flock, that they would discern truth from error, and that they would be decisive in removing any threats to the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. We pray these things in his beloved name. Amen. Well, let's join together in singing. Our final song, which, well, penultimate song, which prepares us for the Lord's Supper. Amidst us, our beloved stands.